Speaking of babies, last week, my nephew Judah was in town. Can we just take a look at him? He's like the cutest thing. What up, dude? Uh, I love this guy. I'm uh, his favorite uncle, obviously. And um, Judah, Judah's not quite two years old yet. Uh, he's still at the point where we're counting his age in months, I think. I never have understood that, but I guess it helps for doctors or something. Uh, but he's not quite two years old. He's a ton of fun, but if you've ever been with a child this size, you know they have a lot of energy. I mean, it's go, 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 go. I describe it as all gas, no brakes. It's just go, 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 go. And I've always thought it was funny at this phase of your life. You have the most energy of your entire life, the most energy, and the least amount of life skills. It's like God has just got this big joke. He's like, ha, ha, you can't do nothing. These kids will walk right out in front of a moving car. They will walk into a full swimming pool. They cannot swim. They will, you know, they will put things in their mouth that are too big, and they'll try to swallow them. They'll shove things into their nose holes. Like, they have all this energy. They're all gas, no brakes, but very little life skills. Uh, and so, so, basically, if you are a parent of a kid this age, I'm curious. Who has a kid under the age of five right now? Yeah, Okay. God bless you. Um, you know your full-time job is to help them not die. That's your, that's your job. You have to every day, and when at the end of the day, you should high-five whoever you're helping to raise them with and be like, we did it. We did it, babe. They're not dead today. They stayed alive because they're constantly trying to, to end their own lives, and so that's our job to keep them alive. Um, I don't remember being two years old. It was a long time ago. Uh, I barely remember my kids being two years old, um, but here's, here's something that gives me hope. Apparently... We do grow out of this. Uh, we, we, barely, we apparently get some life skills, and we learn to look both ways before we cross the street, and we learn how to swim, and we learn not to put things up our nose and things like that. Uh, my kids are both teenagers now, and I can tell you that it is great to just leave them at the house and go away. It is great. Like, you guys just don't burn it down. And they don't. And so far, we haven't burned the house down. So parents of those little kids, there is hope, okay? It does get better. It gets harder in other ways, but easier in a lot of ways, and so... Uh, today, I tell that story, uh, one, because we're celebrating babies, but two, because today we're talking about growing up, growing up, and, 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 you know, we grow up a lot of areas in our life academically. A couple of you guys, I know, are graduating from college and high school in the next few days, if you haven't already done it, and uh, there's some growing up that happens there. There's growing up that happens, you know, with your, with your life as you're a teenager or whatever, but in all of these areas of life, growing up is important, but, but there's probably not an area that's more important and one that we neglect more than growing up in our spiritual walk with God. Many of us remain infants spiritually for our entire life. And I want to tell you, that is not God's plan for you. And that is not the best for you. You can grow up spiritually. You can tune into what God's doing in this world and you can be a part of it. You can be mature spiritually. But there is room for you to have all gas and no brakes. It's a growing process. We all start at the same point. And then we grow as we mature. And so we're in this teaching series right now, and we're unpacking one of Jesus' favorite topics, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was teaching this prayer one time, and he basically said, you know, uh, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've been cleverly using this phrase that a lot of people use and, and insert our city name. We want to live, give God's kingdom in Wilmington. 
as it is in heaven. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come down in this place and for us to make a difference and for you to be part of that? And so on Easter Sunday, we kicked it off and we started out talking about the most pivotal person in our kingdom, which is our king. We said that Jesus is our king, the resurrected king, God in the flesh who came down and gave his life as the salvation for our souls and then was able to resurrect himself by his own power. Big, big story. That is the message of Christianity. And that he came to lead a different type of kingdom. There's governments and there's kingdoms and there's rulers and there's authorities all over the world. But he says, I'm different than that. And we highlighted two ways that he's very different. He comes with a heavenly character. And as a king with a heavenly character, he can bring something different to the table than any other leader or government or ruler could ever bring. Uh, he also comes with a spiritual authority. See, there's a lot of things that people can have authority over in your life. We're working on this new building that the church has, and we're waiting on permits in the city and the county. We've got to sign off on things. And that's good for lots of our life. But none of the authorities in the world can deal with our spiritual state. Only King Jesus. So he's got that spiritual authority. That was the first week, the king. The second week, we talked about the kingdom because it was kind of like, what is that? Is the kingdom of God the place we go after we live on this earth? Is the kingdom of God this like secret place somewhere far off in a cloud where you get a harp? No. No, in fact, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish is actually here on this earth. And what we talked about, I loved the pictures. I didn't come up with this idea myself. I got it from another great teacher. Uh, but I, it's one of the most pivotal teachings of the year for me, like in my own personal life, is that the kingdom of God is about us, the people who know Jesus, the king, taking pockets of heaven everywhere we go. That's the kingdom of God. We get to live out that heavenly, uh, that heavenly character. We get to live out that spiritual authority and bring the love of God everywhere we go. So that's what it means for God's kingdom to come in Wilmington as it is in heaven. And so those were the first two weeks. Brian spoke last week and did a great job and kind of took a different angle on, on the kingdom. But this week what I want to do is, is turn away from the big picture and turn the camera back on myself and on you, each one of us. We're looking in the mirror this morning because we want to look at the citizens of the kingdom. What is a, a nation without its people, right? I mean, that's who they are, is the people. What does it mean for someone to live in the kingdom of God? And specifically, there's a lot of ways we could cover this. We could talk about, you know, like our own moral uh, guide, guidance. We could talk about Christian character. We could talk about righteous living. There's a lot of ways we could, you know, pair this out. But what I want to talk about specifically is what does it talk, look like to grow spiritually in the kingdom of God? To come from wherever you are right now and continue to mature in your walk with faith. Are, are you on board with me for that this morning? Because I think that would be a very powerful thing. We're going to look at a teaching Jesus did in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, open it up, Matthew, chapter 13. If you need a Bible, we've got free ones at the back on the shelf back there. Grab a Bible. We've got Bibles you can use during the service. Just go grab it. Use it for, you know, the next half hour and put it back if you don't want to take it home. Or if you need a Bible, keep it. We write your name in the front cover. We want everyone to have a good, readable version of the Bible. We're in Matthew, which is in the New Testament of your Bibles, and Matthew is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is doing some teaching on the kingdom of God. And he's using his favorite teaching style, the parable. So a parable is like using a metaphor to tell a story, and the metaphor helps you make your point. And you do this in a lot of ways in your life. And the parable specifically used by Jesus is to, to basically use an earthly story to tell a heavenly story so that we can see behind the veil and understand it a little bit. Matthew chapter 13, he's actually kicking off a series of parables about the kingdom of God. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Let's just see where Jesus is. It says, that said, let's try that again. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. 
that such large crowds were gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So they didn't have a YMCA or a sound system, so they got in a boat and he got out there and he begins to, to, to teach. Verse 3. And then he told them many things in parables. That's setting up the rest of the chapter because he's going to give them many parables. This is the first one. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it up. Some of the seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's a parable. Now, parables are short and sweet, uh, and they're made to make you think. A good parable actually isn't going to give you all the answers. A good parable makes you go, huh? Farmers throwing seeds, okay? Some seeds grow, some don't grow, huh? And you're supposed to take that now, the teacher teaches it, and you're supposed to discuss it. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Now, Jesus is going to give us a, a leg up in this parable because he's about to explain it. But the disciples uh, did this. They, they kind of, this, this was their way. I mean, he was a rabbi in the first century. This is how they all taught. And, 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 and most of the time, the rabbi would actually use an object. Uh, he would be at a place. If he's talking about trees, he's going to be, there was a tree growing by the road. If he's going to talk about birds, he's going to say, there was a flock of birds, and there's going to be a flock of birds. If he's at, you know, the water, we were by the sea, and this happens in the sea. So I have no doubt that Jesus had a little handful of seeds, or maybe that there was a farmer. He was actually sowing seed in the field or whatever. He was at, maybe they were there, and the crop was already grown. They're seeing it. They're thinking about it. They discuss it. And then in verse 10, they come back. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? It's a fair question because of what I just said. Like, wouldn't it be much clearer if Jesus was just like, hey, listen, this is a list of things you should do. This is a list of things you shouldn't do. Sign up here if you want on. Hey, he, he did some of that. He was very good at doing that too. But he's like, you also speak in parables. Why do you do that? Like, wouldn't it be easier if you just spoke straight up? And I love Jesus' heart here because it needs to remind us as a church that this is how Jesus taught. You'll see what I mean in a second. Look at verse 11. He says, well, that's a good question because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Remember, there's a large crowd. There was such a large crowd, he had to go get in a boat so they could hear them all. So all of them don't know the stuff that you know. Whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. That though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. I got to give credit to the disciples here. Because kind of to answer their question, they're like, why do you speak in riddles? Why do you speak in puzzles? He kind of answers them in another riddle, another puzzle. But they pick up what he's putting down. And I want to just summarize it for you if it went over our heads. Because I know we, we aren't very literary people. and Believe us, we're not. We just, we like, just give it to me. He's saying, listen, people who want to know about the kingdom of God, they're going to take the time to learn about it. To understand it, to wrestle with the truth of it. And people who are just here for the entertainment, or maybe they're just here for their own self-righteousness. got to check it off my list. Go to church. Do the right thing. They're going to miss the point. 
He said, I speak in parables because I want people to lean in and ask questions. <laughs> I want people to stick around and do what you guys are doing right now and say, well, tell us about this parable. So here's the point. Jesus is actually okay with someone being a fair-weather bandwagon fan. He's okay with them moseying along. Like, if you don't want to be here for what I'm about, I love you. But anything worth doing takes work. So I'm going to need you to lean in a little bit and try. It's going to take work. It's going to take thinking. It's going to take obedience. It's going to take faith. That's why I speak in parables. So he kind of takes an aside, and then uh, he looks at them, and he says, but, verse 16, fast forward a few verses, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you are seeing right now, but they didn't get to see it, and to hear what you get to hear, but they didn't get to hear it. And then after this, Jesus is going to actually explain the parable. So in case you missed it, because I read it a few minutes ago, and I know our attention spans are short. This was the parable. Again, there's a farmer. He's sowing seeds in a field, and the seeds land in different places. And along the way, some things come up and mess the growth of some of the seeds. Some critters come and get it, and the sun scorches it, and it doesn't get roots. And, and then some of it does grow. And so that's the story. That's the surface-level story. And Jesus knows that the people listening... If they're just there for the show, I want you to remind you what Jesus was often doing, okay? He was healing people of sicknesses. He was giving out free food. Uh, he was putting on a show because he was kind of challenging the authority of the area. And so people came in droves, and most of them were just like, well, let's see what Jesus is doing. What's Jesus doing? They're just here for the show. And he's like, those people here for the show, they're going to hear the story about the farmer and be like, eh, that makes sense. Sometimes seeds grow, and sometimes they don't. All right, peace. There's no free food today, right? But then the few that stuck around, he's like, okay, you guys who are still here? All right, lean in, because I want to explain to you this parable. And he's going to break down that in the parable, many times this parable has been called the, the parable of the sower. That's what Jesus calls it. Some have called it the parable of the seed. But I want to point out to you that maybe the overarchingly most important character in this story is the soil. So I refer to it as the parable of the soil. There's going to be four types of soil, and Jesus is going to break them down for us. He says there, there's the hard path. There is the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, and there's the good soil. There's four types of soils, okay? So go back to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. Let's let Jesus explain it, okay? He's going to be the great teacher. Verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed thrown on the path. And I want to give you a little tidbit. This is actually recorded in the book of Luke also. And in the book of Luke, verse 11, Luke adds this detail that Jesus says. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Okay? So when this farmer is sowing his seed, he's not sowing wheat. He's not trying to plant 100 apple trees. I don't think you sow apple tree seeds like that. You know, what a corn. It's not that... He's like, the seed that's being cast out is the word of God. And the first person that hears the word of God is like a hard path. You've seen these hard paths. If you go to a, a city park, a lot of them are along the side of the road where there's a lot of foot traffic but no sidewalk. And eventually there's just a place where grass can't grow. You've seen this? It's amazing. And there's paths. Like, I, I like to hike in trails and stuff. It's amazing to me how well trails stay trails. 
Like, nature is pretty intent on growing stuff everywhere, but like if people regularly walk on an area, it just won't grow there. It's pretty amazing. And he's like, you guys know the paths where seed just won't grow? He says, some people's hearts are like that. When the word of God comes in them, they're just not ready to hear it. You might know someone like this, someone that you tried to talk about your faith with or someone that you tried to help navigate through life with and they just don't have time for that. They just don't want to hear it. And it's the things of this world that have come along that pack down our heart. It might be you. You might be here this morning and just be honest with yourself. You don't have to raise your hand or say anything. But the only reason you're here is because your wife or your husband drug you here or your kids made you come. Like you're just here and you've heard me and other people preach dozens of times and like if you're honest, you're like, I'm not really growing in my faith. And the truth is, maybe it's because the soil of your heart is, is packed tight. I want to call out a group of people in the room right now that may not realize that this is you. Maybe you've been in church for 20, 30 years, or four, five, 10 years. You've been coming to your church for a while, and you're like, I still don't get it. I still aren't, I'm not growing. I think sometimes the people who have the hardest hearts are those who take for granted the word of God. We hear it so often that it doesn't really move us anymore. He said, this is the first soil. He moves on to the second soil. He calls it rocky soil. This is verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Whew, that's good news. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. The truth of God actually matters to this person, okay? There, there, maybe you're reading your Bible every now and then, or maybe you're coming to church, or maybe you call your grandma or your spiritual advisor, and you're like, I want to do this stuff. And like you hear the good news, you're like, yes, yes, that's what I want. I'm going to guess this is a good percentage of us here today. That's what I want. And you leave a good church service, or you leave a worship experience, or you leave reading your Bible, you're like, this is what I want. And it begins to grow in you. You're like, yeah. But then an hour after church, or maybe by Tuesday or Wednesday, you're just like, uh, we all have hang-ups and baggage in our life. We do. Under the surface. It might be addiction that we're wrestling with or something in our background. It might be fear of something. It might be doubt. You've got questions about life and about God. Maybe you've got brokenness. We've all got brokenness. I want to call these hang-ups rocks in our soil. They're under the surface. So that's why you can come into a setting like this, you can feel pretty good for a few minutes. But there's mess under the surface, and those seed, the word of God takes root, but then the roots hit the rocks. And it can't go anywhere, and without roots, plants can't grow. And so we've all got rocks. That's nothing to be ashamed of. We've all got them. But one of Jesus' reasons to come to earth was to help us dig up the rocks. To put us in community where we can work through those rocks together. To hear his truth that gets us excited enough and motivated enough to make changes in our life. But we get stubborn with our rocks, don't we? I like what's under the surface. I like to keep this to myself. I like this personality thing I've got going on. Or I like this thing. Or, or I don't want to deal with it because it hurts too much to dig it up. It's not easy to dig up the rocks. Um, but if you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, I got some rocks that need to be dug up. Can... First of all, it's awesome that you can acknowledge that. But secondly, I just want to beg you, do it. Do the work. Do the work to start 
digging. Like, get the help you need. Go see the counselor you need to go see. Go tell the truth that you need to tell. Make the move that you need to make. Because if you don't, you're going to feel really good today for about an hour after church. Or maybe till Tuesday or Wednesday. But unless you deal with what's going on under the surface, like, you got to work on that. Now, you don't have to do this alone, okay? And you shouldn't do this alone. This is community, okay? God's grace comes in. His Holy Spirit can help you. But the first step in all of this is to begin trusting God with it. Like, enter the kingdom of God. Let him, first of all, deal with your guilt and your sin. Like, because some of these rocks are sin things. We need to always acknowledge sin. It's not always someone else's fault. It's almost always your fault. <laughs> um, there are a lot of baggage that someone else put in your life, and you got to deal with that too, and I'm so sorry. But a lot of it can be dealt with if you just man up, woman up, and say, I'm not honoring God with my choices. Start there. God can take away the guilt and, you know, forgive, give you forgiveness, and then work in community to work on the rocks. That's the rocky soil, okay? So we've got the path, we've got the rocky soil. Third one is a lot like the rocky soil. This is verse 22. He says, the seed falling among the thorns, so this is the thorny soil, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. and They make it unfruitful. Some people, some of you, and myself, we are surrounded by weeds and thorns. Jesus says that the weeds and thorns in this world are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I think it's very interesting that those are the two things he calls weeds and thorns. Uh, in the book of Luke in chapter 8 where we're doing the same passage, it says that these are life's worries and riches and pleasures. When I look at my own life, it is most often these things that choke the word of God. That's for me. I want you, as you're looking at these soils, to identify which soil you most identify with, but I'm going to guess that a lot of us can at least identify with this one. Um, both the worries and the pleasures. The worries because, man, whoo, if I can't pay my bills, if I can't deal with this health issue, if I can't fix this relationship, if I can't do this, 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 like the worries of this world. Jesus says, look, listen, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. I take care of birds and flowers. I'm definitely going to take care of you. Philippians chapter 4 says that we, should, we shouldn't be anxious about anything, but by, by prayer and in thanksgiving, we should submit our request to God. And so the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4. But still the worries of this life are thorns and weeds, and they get in the way of the word of God. And then, and then he also says the pleasures of this world. We're wealthy. This might be the biggest thing that we struggle with in our world today. We're rich. We have so much stuff. Most of us have a car. Most of us have two cars and a smartphone with internet. And internet's getting pretty cheap and you can have like unlimited internet. Can you imagine if our great-grandparents had the internet? Like, man, life would have been so much different for them. But we just have it. You probably have clothes that you never wear. You, you probably have rooms in your house that you never use. And before you're like, uh-uh, I ain't that rich. No, like you probably have rooms in your house where you put junk that you don't use. We call them the attic, we call them the shed, we call them the, the closet, okay? These are rooms in your house that people around the world were like, dude, if I had a room the size of your closet, period, I would be so thrilled, okay? So we are wealthy. I'm not, this isn't a guilt trip, this is just a realization. Weeds and thorns, they steal nutrients, they kill and destroy the plant. In fact, those are Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes 
He's talking about the devil here. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is growth language. This is life language. We can deal with these uh, thorns and these weeds, but just like the rocks, we've got to acknowledge them, and we've got to take steps to get them out of the way. Do you identify with that? The fourth type of soil. This is the goody-goody. We all know where it's going, okay? They all got it figured out. But this is the fertile soil. Jesus calls it the good soil. It says, but this is verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. I love that phrase. If you're a parent, uh, you've probably said, I know you hear me, but are you listening? <laughs> okay, this is what Jesus is saying. Like, you heard the word, but like, what are you doing about it? That was a good word today, preacher. Glad you did. Oh, I listened to Caleb and got real inspired. Yeah, I read a book and it just blew my mind, but what are you doing about it? They hear the word and they understand it, which means they put it into practice. He says, this is the one who produces a good crop, yielding 160, 160 or 30 times what was sown. The, the book of Luke, where it records this parable also, this says that soil is someone with a good and noble heart. What's the point of a seed? To bear fruit. How, some of you do in summer gardens, right? You planted your tomatoes and your cucumbers and like, how many of you would love to just water that thing all summer and never get a cucumber? I've, am I done that? I've done it. Like, wait, we need, do, we need, do we have bees or something? Can we pollinate these plants? Like, I want tomatoes, right? It's frustrating when you don't have fruit. And when God looks at our life, he's like, ah, poured so much into you. I've given you life. I've created everything for your pleasure so that you can just enjoy this world. And all I want you to do is honor me with your life. Will you bear fruit? In fact, Jesus says that we, you will know someone is following him by their fruit. It doesn't say by their church attendance. You will know they are Christians by their love. He says anything that's not fruitful will be cut off from the tree. That's what a farmer does, a good farmer. I'm helping my neighbor keep a, cultivate a, a, a plum tree. And every couple of days we go out there and we pick off the little suckers that try to grow on the side because we want all the nutrients to go up to where the fruit's going to grow. We don't want to grow a bunch of little leaves. Nobody wants to eat leaves unless you're a rabbit. We want plums. And that's what God has in store for you if you would trust him and cultivate your life. I got a challenge for you this week. Every week we have a challenge. Uh, if you're new to us, I want to explain to you this challenge. Every single week, I try to come up with a good challenge every week. The goal is that this is what you, we will all do this week, okay? Uh, and so it'd be a really good practice to keep a notebook and write down every week's challenge and go back and see, like, did I actually do that? So every week's challenge should be something that you can do within the next week that will make a difference in your spiritual walk. And this is this week's challenge. I want you to think of one barrier or a distraction to your growth And strategically remove it from your life as often as possible this week. I'm going to read it to you again. I apologize. I realize I didn't put it on the screen. I want you to think of one barrier or distraction to your growth with God. Okay? What's a barrier? What's a rock? What's a weed or a thorn? Got it? This is a simple. This is a parable. It's a metaphor. What's one? Okay? You try to tackle them all at the same time, you're going to be real frustrated by Friday. Just think of one. And then strategically remove it from your life as often as possible this week. If your uh, vice is that you continually are on social media too much, it ruins your attitude, it ruins your ability to interact with other people, and it sucks your brain power and all the other things that we know looking at social media does for us. Like, okay, that's an obvious one. As often as possible, strategically remove it from your life. You know what that could mean? <laughs> Did you know that you can delete the apps on your phone? 
Do you know that? Like it would change. Can you imagine how much quicker you would get in and out of the bathroom if you would just get rid of Facebook? Can you imagine how much better your conversations and your productivity at work would go if you would just remove Okay, see, that's strategic, okay? You make a plan and you do it. You dig up the rock, you take down the thorn. Or maybe you find that, uh, you know, you got so much money, but for some reason, like, you got too much debt. And like, even though you make statistically, like your family household, I don't know, over $100,000, a lot of families, like that's a lot of money, just so you know. And you're like, but I can't afford to do anything. Uh, well, maybe you could strategically cut up your credit card. You could strategically cancel services that you don't need. You could strategically do that. You're going to find margin in your life, and then you know what you can do that honors God. You can become generous with that instead. I'm not talking about giving offering to the church. Please hear me. I'm talking about partnering with someone who needs help and helping them out. See, that's strategic. If you find that you're not honoring God by the way that you snap at your kids all the time because you don't get enough sleep or you don't do this or that, you know, you could strategically try to change the way you speak to people. And it'll help you honor God. We dig up the rocks, we pull up the vines, the weeds, the thorns, and then growth can begin to happen because that's what God wants from you. You remember my nephew Judah. Uh, all that energy, all gas, but no brakes. Uh, no life skills, uh, very few life skills. He can, uh, he can pretend like he's catching a football. It's pretty funny. You toss him a football, you're like, catch it. He goes like this. I'm like, okay, it's not going to cut it. And you throw it, it bounces off of him. He's like, yay. And every now and then, like, he accidentally will, like, balance it on his hands. Okay, here's the thing. Dude can't tie his own shoes. He can't make a sandwich. Okay, it's not going to happen. Uh, people have to clean up after him when he uses the bathroom, right? It's, this is real life. Okay, you know, no one is, like, mad at him about any of those things. No one's like, why don't you just stop being a baby? No, in fact, the people in his life come alongside him, and they are his biggest cheerleaders. Even though he has no ability to catch a football, we continue to throw the football at him. And we help him. We coach him. We hold his hands a certain way. You pick up what I'm saying? Like, here's the deal. You might be in a place where you're the hard path. You might have a lot of rocks. You might have a lot of thorns. And you might have the experience that religious people just want to throw rocks and thorns at you for that. I ain't got time for that junk. We need to come alongside each other and help each other dig. We need to be the biggest cheerleaders and the biggest coaches. And even though, yeah, you fell flat on your face again, you can say, hey, listen, you made it four more steps this time. Good job. Keep it up. That's what church community, community can be. And we're talking about kingdom come. That's how we bring the kingdom of God in Wilmington as it is on earth. We don't be just throwing rocks and making judgments on people. But we come alongside them and we help them with their soil. When we do the work to cultivate our hearts... It will make an eternal difference. Step one in your life. You might be in a place where right now you need to choose Jesus for the first time. Can I invite you to do that? Just do it. Just do it. And guess what? You know what the Bible calls us? Spiritual infants. It's Bible. That's Bible language. That's totally acceptable to God. That when you come to him, you get to be a baby. It says we get to feed on spiritual milk. It's the little things like, hey, don't say those words, okay? And don't go to those places, okay? Those are just little basic things. But maybe you've been around for a while. The Apostle Paul says, listen, stop just drinking the milk. Get into the meat. Lean in like those disciples who thought about the parable and said, I need to do different. And then we can begin to make this world a different place.
It's been happening for over 2,000 years, and it continues today. If you need to make one of those decisions today, I, I would love to invite you to go speak to one of our elders or one of our spiritual leaders. I mean, guys and ladies back there, you could talk to, get prayed with this morning and make a decision. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time today, whoo, that's fantastic. Uh, we could set up a time for you to get baptized on Mother's Day. My mom would be frustrated because I would have to go to town later, but I would stay in town for you, and my mom would be excited. She would be excited. She'd be like, you stayed to baptize somebody? All right. Make my mom frustrated today, please. Please. She'll be all right. We want to see people come into the kingdom of God. And if that's you today, I want you to know this is a safe place for that journey, okay? Um, and maybe you need to make some strategic decisions this week to honor God with your life. Do it. It takes faith. It takes obedience. It takes community. But that's the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, there's always room to go. Jesus said, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear for truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. But we have Jesus now. And we've seen it, and we've heard it, and it's changing the world. Let me pray for us this morning.